when you treat people in a loving way, they are more prone to respond in a loving and cooperative way. When you support them in a very loving and compassionate manner, they are likely to give you back to respond in the same way. Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm Petra Belzebor, and this is the place to discuss tips, tricks, and hacks to build your resilience through your worst rock bottoms and get you to a place of success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life, professionals, individuals who've been through their own adversity, and allow them to share their authentic and real life stories, opinions, and ideas about how to utilize our worst rock bottoms and allow them to catapult us into success. Welcome to the show. Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Today we've got one of those special episodes, which is we've got an expert on the line. So we've got Dr. Bruno Signaco on the line. I hope I didn't murder your name just then. Welcome to the show, Dr. Bruno. Thank you very much. You can call me Bruno. Thank you. Let's not be so oh, formal. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much for your invite. You are very kind and, and very, very polite with me. Thank you. So we've got Bruno on because we connected on LinkedIn and he has a book out called The Art of Compassionate Business. He's a consultant and a university lecturer on topics such as marketing, but, but all of this has led him to, to writing this book because he believes there is a way to conduct business more humanly, humanely, and that we can look after our people. So obviously those sentences jumped out at me, just very connected to my mental health consultancy role, where often I talk very much, I do training, and I help leaders think about how they can lead in a different way. Now, Dr. Bruno has some uh, research behind this and some formulas and frameworks for how we can do this. But before we get into that, Dr. Bruno, what led you to, to writing this book? Why is it important to you? Thank you for the question. What led me to write this book is very simple. I have been teaching business modules on undergraduate and postgraduate level for a long time, more than 20 years. And also I have been delivering consultancy services, especially on international marketing, with small companies, medium-sized companies, and big companies. What I observe that in some cases, most companies tend to be uh, very oriented to profits, and they are forgetting about the human side of business. So I, I've seen that there are only a few books about this, and they touch the, the topic very superficially. There are many principles in business books that I really do not agree so much. So, for example, one that is the most important thing is to get profit without taking into account non-economic aspects. And so this led me to research on this based on my experience also on interacting with companies and also a research on a much more humane way to approach business. And this led up uh, to this book that is obviously published this year by Rudlitz, what is a very important publisher. I'm very satisfied with the result and the feedback is very good. And do you think that times are changing? You know, do you think that the workforce is more stressed out, is finding things more difficult, has more kind of maybe emotional problems or is more in fight or flight? Like, do you, does the leadership need to change because the world is now different? Yes, completely agree with this because what happened, one of the biggest problems, according to my research, is that people feel a lot of fear in the workplace. Most of the workplaces are short-oriented. They're only focused on work roles. 
without taking into account the whole human being, a holistic view on the human being that includes physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects. You can see this in any business meeting or in a business conversation. I will give you an example. In any business meeting, traditional business meeting, the only important topic is to talk about the goals to achieve. And every person yeah. is a means to achieve this end, this goal. They're not talking about casual topics like a emotional aspect or how they feel. And people feel pressurized by time. In some cases, they're multitasking. There are lots of research uh, on stress, multitasking, confusion of roles. In some cases, the directions are not clear. In some cases, people feel overwhelmed because they have to overwork. So this creates a response that the psychologists study very well, that is freeze, fight, fly mode. And when people are in freeze, fight, fly mode, they are less creative. There is a lot of research that become less creative, but also they are focusing narrowly on the threat. So this means that they cannot think around the threat. They cannot expand their awareness. They cannot be mindful. They tend to react in the same way that they did in the past. And in some cases, they feel incapable. Their self-efficacy skills are lower because they don't feel capable to face this challenge. But I want also to comment that stressful people are, tend to uh, have negative emotion. For example, fear, for example, trepidation. And of course, when they feel this emotion, these tend to color their thoughts. They cannot think clearly. We see a lot of uh, examples in the research, and also they're mentioned in my book, that when people cannot think clearly, they cannot plan clearly, they cannot act clearly, because emotion, thoughts, and action are connected. So for the reason, when people feel safe at work, this is one of the basic needs, people have to be safe at work, not only recognize, but the basic need will be safe, taking into account Maslow yeah. pyramid of needs. Safety is one of the basic, and when people don't feel safe, when they feel threatened, when they feel threatened, they will be fired if they make a mistake. When they cannot get experimental and express their view in a creative way, because they have to follow rules and procedures that in some cases do not make any sense. When they have to feel bureaucratic rules and uh, they cannot be authentic, they have to fake or use a social mask. And in my opinion, I think the leaders, so the people managing these meetings and leading companies, are also in a state of fear. And especially, I think, the last years since 9-11 and the media and the news and, and people's notifications on their phone, it feels like the whole world, the energy around, you know, the messages around fear has gone up. And so how can a leader manage the safety of their people if they don't feel safe themselves? Do you, do you know what I mean? I understand do you, perfectly. Do you uh, yes, this is about compassionate leadership. That could be also the topic for the next book. Uh, the yes. leaders have a very important role, that is leading people, but also caring for people. In some cases, leaders focus so much on satisfying shareholder objectives, meaning getting mm. more profit, but they forget the other aspect, what they call the triple bottom line or triple bottom line, that is profit, people, and planets. And we have to understand that if leaders are not loving to their uh, team members, the team members won't respond in a positive way and the objective won't be achieved. Some leaders focus only on economic parameters like productivity, profitability, efficiency, but they forget that these parameters are achieved by people. So if you treat people naturally loving way, 
this parameter as a consequential achieved. So the focus, I think the leader should change or shift their focus instead of focusing so much on parameters that are important from the economic perspective, they should focus much more on enhancing people's skills, on supporting them, on recognizing them, on being grateful for their contribution. And as a natural consequence, these parameters are so important, not only for the survival, but for the success of business activities, will naturally thrive, will naturally improve, because the focus should be on people. And business is about human relationships, because you have human relationships with employees, you have human relationships with suppliers. Even you see the organization, within the organization, beyond all this facade, you have people, and the ones that are contributing to your business, generating new ideas, supporting customers, are people. So I feel that leaders have to become much more human-oriented. And how we can do this from the practical perspective, because I always try to give some tips to leaders, be more grateful for the employee's contribution and acknowledging them when they're contributing uh, to, co- to companies' objectives, but also be more generous. I just want to throw in a challenge that I also often hear from leaders when I run training is we simply don't have time. Don't like there's this fear that, that's, that they would have to slow down their approach in business. So it's counterintuitive yes. to slow down, yes. be grateful, spend time with their people. What do you say about that to the, yes. the time factor? These leaders yeah. are busy themselves. Yes, yeah, there is a problem with time because it's a, like a fast-paced society. And also the yeah. people believe that there is a scarcity of every resource, including time. What I will say to leaders, if you don't take time to build a relationship with your internal stakeholder employees and external stakeholders, this won't happen spontaneously. A relationship with employees and with external stakeholders takes time. It's like a plant that should be tended, water over time. When you build relationships and they are solid, they are sound, they are obviously mutually profitable, people tend to cooperate naturally. You don't have to coerce them into cooperation. But what happened? Obviously, what we will focus on, the urgent means paying the bills or on the important, developing mutually profitable relationship. I think that there should be a balance. Many companies have a, what we call short-term mission approach, meaning that they're focusing only what is urgent, like, a, like a putting off fires. And this is a very wrong approach because they, they miss the most important thing that is much more strategic, that is developing mutually profitable relationship. And you have to save time. It's not five minutes if when you have a little break at work that you can develop a relationship. But it's much more, uh, much deeper, for example, knowing what are the employees' concerns, knowing if the employees is getting work-life balance, and they're uh, obviously meeting the, their family needs, not only the company needs. And also knowing the employees have any challenge, for example, for example, the, the family got pregnant, or for example, there is something related to illness, how to support them, because there is a principle in social uh, psychology that is called the principle of reciprocity. When you treat people in a loving way, they're more prone to respond in a loving and comparative way. When you support them in a very loving and compassionate manner, they're likely to give you back to respond in the same way. Does mean they reciprocate. The opposite happens when people are dismissed, unrecognized, when people, for example, they're not taking into account the effort, for example, that they overwork, they contributed, they have additional hours at work, and they're only 
sang with a very formal note, but without heart, people tend to get resented and next time won't cooperate. So I think that is not only strategic, but it's important to acknowledge human beings, employees, and all the external stakeholders as legitimate beings that have needs. And the only way that the relationship can succeed is when needs of both parties are met. This is a very common principle and very common sense principle, but means not only company needs should be met, employees' needs should be met. Both should be a win-win agreement. Companies shouldn't be making employees overwork without fair compensation for this. And many companies do this. They can take advantage of this probably once or twice, but people are very clever and they realize when haven't been recognized, they will look for other place to work, they will look for other place to develop their skills and enhance their capabilities. People tend to cooperate when they feel supported, when they feel cared for, when they feel not a figure in the company, not a faceless figure, but when they feel that they can be recognized because of their uniqueness, because of their uh, unique mental skills uh, and also physical aspect, uh, emotional aspects as a human being. Many companies focus only on the role. This is the main mistake that I see. Focus only on the work role and they forget the human being behind this role. The roles are, yes, are facades, but the human being is what is generally the most important thing because he's the one carrying out all the stuff related to this role. And so what are the first steps? So say a company has not been prioritizing this that okay. much, right? Maybe they're trying here and there. Maybe they have HR or they kind of get their people team to look after the people, right? The leaders don't really want to do it. They want to focus on tasks. Okay. What are some of the first steps that you suggest that a company takes to even understand this, but begin to change the culture, maybe? Yes, yes. Uh, the most important step, thank you for the question, very insightful. So the most important steps are, first of having positive assumption about employees. And what does this mm -hmm. mean? It means that many companies have, by default, negative assumption. Negative assumption, for example, that employees are not trustworthy, that employees are, can, can be potential swindlers, or the employees won't care for companies' uh, assets, or the employees won't meet the objective if they are not directly, clearly, or given the right commands. And this means that, in practice, some managers and some leaders are fearful of potential employee performance that could be negative. On the contrary, what I suggest is that to be more trusting. More trusting means that employee delegating, giving the general direction, but then allow employee to perform the task in the, in the best way, according to their discerning skill, according to their experience, according to their expertise. This means that not being so fearful that the employees will fail, or the, and also allow employees also, when possible, when, without risking the company's objective, to be much more experimental. Some, some work environments are so regulated that employees are not allowed to be creative. And if they, they are, get a bit experimental, they are punished because they are considered, if the experiment doesn't work out, this is considered as a failure instead of a potential creative situation. So delegating will be a very important point, delegating clear direction, but also allowing employees and giving friendly feedback. Friendly feedback means not condemning uh, the person highlighting the behavior that wasn't correct, that was mistaken, but also highlighting also the positive aspect of this person, the contribution of the past, 
and also in a very friendly, polite way, guiding, coaching employee or mentoring this employee, a way of saying, in order that he can or she can learn how to do things better in the future, not criticizing the person, but also highlighting the behavior, but also giving tips to, for them to improve. So showing that because feedback tends to be um, very punitive means that employees feel fearful of, of receiving feedback. My approach will be try to give feedback in a friendly way. Also surround this feedback with positive experience that employees went through in the past and also give some tips for them to improve their performance, highlighting their potential contribution to the company. Employees want to feel meaningful. This means that they want to feel that they're contributing to something bigger, that they're following, they're contributing to company's mission. If the employees don't feel this, they will be less cooperative. I want to, I want to say the, the, the things that you're talking about, they make total sense to me and I almost take them for granted. I'm a coach and a psychotherapist okay. and have been working, I've been working on my own personal development for a long time, right? But, but the, like the foundation of what you're saying is that a, a leader needs to have a kind of radical honesty about themselves yes. and be willing to have, like sort of have a growth mindset and learn and, and develop the skill of talking to people in that way, right? Where we're, we're grateful, we're, there, there's like an, an, a self-awareness process before the actual sk- skill. Does that, does that make sense? Like make they need to know when sense. they're make in a triggered state. Yes, yes. Yeah, because if they're, if they're being triggered themselves because they don't feel safe or they, they have authority figures that have taught them that you just tell people what to do, that sort of thing, they've really got to look inward understand the context of how you invest in your people is good for business, but also in order to do that, they have to be vulnerable and take risks and say they're not always going to get it right or ask people, kind of involve them and say, how can uh, you be your best self? Those sorts of questions. And I think not every leader um, takes the time for that, their own self-awareness and development. Does that, does that make sense? Make do you, do, do, make do you think, that, think that's the starting point? The starting point is awareness. It's about being mindful, yeah. thoughtful, but also being aware that all people share a common humanity. We all have fears, yeah. we all have successes, we have dreams, we have aspirations, we have failures. Leaders have two, and employees have two. This is the starting point. Common humanness, that common humanity. Us, yeah. This is very important, but also we are interdependent. Leaders have to understand yeah. that they cannot succeed on their own. They cannot succeed without a community. If they, for example, pollute the environment and this community will be affected, this company might succeed in the short term, but not in the long term. If we're exploiting employees we are for, or ripping off customers, this might be probably one of activity that you might get temporary profit, but this is not successful in the, in the long term. So we have to understand the interdependence, which implies a systemic approach, means that we are all connected. The leaders are connected to their team members, but also they're connected to external stakeholders and they're connected to the companies in the sector. So very, very important awareness. There is a full uh, appendix on mindfulness and business and many of the mistakes that are occurring in business environments is because of lack of awareness. People take decisions that are rash. The people take action that could end their debt. They're not taking uh, smart decisions, but they're always responding to urgent issues without taking the time to reflect. 
and reflecting implying reflecting not only on business objectives, reflecting on people, how good they are, what are their skills, how these companies grow me because of people contribution, not only because of other assets like for example machinery or for example buildings, but also the most important asset we call this a meta resource is people because it's a resource that creates new resources. How can I value this resource that is the most important one? Employees, for example, are the interface between the internal environment, the company, and the external environment. How can it compensate in a fair way so that they can be the best face before customers? How can we, for example, more generous? Some companies are a bit fearful of being generous and say, oh, we will go into loss. No, it's the opposite, because when you are generous, it creates a virtuous circle. And being generous doesn't mean only being generous from the economic perspective. It implies being generous in a non-economic way. For example, giving recognition, recognizing the merit of people, the contribution, this is a generous approach too. But also, how can we develop a much more cooperative environment in the work environment? This is, you see, I see in my practice that many companies are affected by politics. Politics means backbiting, or for example, slandering, or unfair competition, favoritism. How can we create a better work environment so that employees feel at ease, they feel much more fulfilled? They're not obligated to come to work. They come because they have their heart in the company and they're trying to do their best. And also at the same time, they're trying to do their best with customers, our one of the most important stakeholders. And they try to relate to other stakeholders like suppliers or the government or the community in a loving way. This is creating a virtual circle, and I completely agree with you, very good insight, that everything becomes with awareness, because thoughts are connected to emotions, but thoughts and emotions are the ones that create actions. So this means that it's an inside-out approach, the one that I, and it's about principles, not so much about strategies. The important question that leaders should ask themselves is, what is important in this company? What is important is people. People, because the only way for a company to succeed is to rely on people and treat them in a fair way, in a loving way, in a caring way. And when people feel cared yeah. for, uh, obviously we can say that they respond naturally. They're willing to do their best. They, they, they're willing to go the extra mile. Yeah. And it sounds like starting with ourselves with practices such as mindfulness or gratitude or, uh, you know, any kind of exercise well-being practices can help us bring down our cortisol and allow us to be fully present with each other. Um, were you surprised by any outcomes in your research? I was surprised because one believed that there are only a few uh, compassionate companies, but there are many. I can name a few. For example, there is a company called Tom's that is a shoe a company. That, For example, this company, for every pair of shoes that they sell, they donate one to... Uh, for example, uh, needed communities. But there are many others, for example, like uh, Honesty, that is a company that develops, for example, organic tea, but also they use fair trade. This means paying fairly to community that they produce the raw material for this tea. So there are many companies that are hidden and they're not shown by the media. You can say, why they're not shown by the media? And I was a bit surprised, and I believe in positive psychology and all these approaches. Uh, I can say that because many cases media is sens sensationalistic, meaning that they try to uh, show news, the one that will grab the attention of the viewers or the readers, and they don't 
highlights things that could be very important and meaningful, but they won't grab the attention so much as, for example, an accident or an attack. And when, we're, when you were talking about media, I completely agree that it's also important for media owners and people working in media to be more balanced. Obviously, there are some maladies in the world, and we cannot dismiss them, and we have to do the best to solve this problem in some cases global, but at the same time highlighting the positive contribution of individuals, but also of organizations, of foundations, non-governmental organizations that are making this world a better place. So this is what I find that also leaders should be keeping them informed, reading the media. Of course, they should be always very well informed to make the best decision, but not to be dragged down by the negativity that in some cases is pervading media. In some cases, media is so negative that entrepreneurs that have a good idea, they feel discouraged because they read, oh, everything is bad, uh, we cannot succeed. They're self-defeated without even trying. So I would say that to get yeah. a much more balance and also some uh, media organizations are much more positive than others, get a balanced view, don't read only negative uh, news, but also try to th- see things that could be having a much more positive approach. For sure, but also we can take responsibility for what we listen to and allow around us. So I personally don't listen to the news. I don't read the newspaper. If something terrible has happened, I'll end up finding out just through a headline or through someone. Yeah. And maybe not everyone wants to do that, but it's like a choice I make because I have I, lots of people tell me about trauma, you know, and I want to manage uh, how I view the world. Just let's get let's get personal for a minute, uh, Dr. Bruno. What what do you do to look after your own well-being? How do you protect yourself and be a compassionate consultant and lecturer? Okay, very important question. How I do, for example, I meditate every day. I believe in the power okay. of meditation. Meditation, there are lots of research on meditation, and some leaders are getting much more engaged with medita- meditation. Meditation is uh, silence the chatter in your mind, what we call the monkey mind. And when I meditate, I feel much more at peace. And also some insights start to pop out. For example, the insight from this book, uh, regarding this book came from a meditation practice. So they don't, I didn't think about this uh, consciously or purposefully, but it came out of the blue. So meditation is very important to keep yourself calm, centered, but at the same time to reflect on past experiences to silence your chatter, the mental chatter. And also what I try to do is to be grateful in the morning. I know that might sound a bit new age, but in practice, this is supported by a very recent discipline called positive psychology. Being grateful enhances your emotional uh, aspect. For example, they make you focus on what is positive instead of focusing on negativity. And when you have positive emotion, your thoughts are called positively at the same time, and your actions tend to be much more insightful, uh, much more uh, creative. So I try also to be grateful. And in some cases, I'm grateful for very simple things. For example, like I have a nice tea in the morning. I like to green, I like green tea a lot. So I, I like to drink green tea in the morning. Or for example, I have a nice chat with a friend. Or for example, I could help this client. So being grateful is also enhancing these emotional skills. Uh, Dr. Hawking, for example, said that uh, gratefulness is one of the highest state of consciousness. So we have to raise our consciousness, means that you have lower state of consciousness, like fear, grief, and higher state of consciousness that implies, for example, gratefulness, that implies uh, gratitude, uh, love, and others. 
So I try to raise my energy on an emotional level. Uh, some institute, like a Hartmut Institute, said that gratefulness or gratitude is what they call emotional asset. Emotional asset means that it's contributing to your body energy in a positive way. However, you have emotional liabilities. When you feel resentful, when you feel fearful, this is taking off energy. So I try to raise my energy as much as possible. Also, I like to do exercise. I like to do yoga. I like yoga a lot. And yoga is yeah. becoming much more popular because it stretches your body. All the emotions that are not expressed, are studies said this too, they are uh, embedded in your, in your body. If you don't release this emotion, they are suppressed or repressed. They start to get tense. And when you're tense, your thoughts don't, they're not so clear. So I try also to do some exercise. I like to walk. A very important tip that I, I do generally, I, I connect myself to natural places. I like the, the sea. I like the parks. Here in London, you have a lot of beautiful parks. And also, yeah. I try to connect. Why? Because when you connect to the nature and also to nature, and according to research, all these uh, uh, set of stimuli that are continually bombarding you, for example, advertising, or for example, news, or for example, emails, or social media, are shut down. So get more in contact to the interconnectedness of nature, and you get more reflective. Many insights, many entrepreneurs said also that when we were in a natural place, these creative ideas pop out mysteriously. Why? Because their mental chattering was shut down very, very, very naturally. So I try to go to natural places too, and I try also to help companies achieve their best objective with a very important focus on caring for employees, customers. I, when I see that some companies are using manipulative techniques, I try to advise them to uh, get away from them. Manipulative techniques mean, for example, not telling the truth or telling only customers have truth uh, in order to get the sale. I try to discourage companies to use any manipulative technique that could be spamming or could be, for example, uh, getting promotions that are not real, or, for example, enhancing aspects that customers really don't want, they're not interested in. So these are few ideas that, about what I try yeah. to enhance my energy and also my, my lifestyle. I love it. And yeah, it's having integrity in your business and creating meaning. We're coming to the end of our time, but in summary, I'm really hearing the part about starting with ourselves through meditation, mindfulness, yoga, exercise, whatever it is that works for us but with that idea of raising our consciousness. Because when we start with ourselves, there's this ripple effect that then goes out. It's easier to then see the humanity and connect to other people if we're practicing compassion for ourselves in the first instance. And the world of work is changing. People are looking for places where their values are heard, where they, where they find meaning, but also they find community and connection in this world of, of sort of disconnection. Um, I love your uh, expertise on this. I'm certainly going to get your book. If people want to get your book, where can they find it? Where can they find you? Where can they connect with you? Very important. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your invite. I really appreciate your insight. And your obviously, this podcast is wonderful. I will say that the book can be found on the internet. The title of the book is The Art of Compassionate Business. This was published in 2019 by Ruth Leach. And also, well, they can check with my, my surname. This can be found on Amazon or any other 
website or can be found on any bookshop. This is all worldwide and really appreciate. And my website is www.humanorientedenterprise.com. There are some uh, ideas about my book and also some of my consultancy service. Amazing. We will add those links into the show notes from the podcast. Dr. Bruno, thank you so much for your time this morning. I really appreciate you coming onto the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Please do subscribe and review on iTunes. Every comment makes a difference. We really appreciate hearing from you. And please do get in touch through petrabelzebor.com if you're interested in any training, coaching, therapy, or just to join the community and get more information on ways that you can build your own resilience. Until next time.